everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I am Anise Von Pleasure. I'm with my co-host, Caitlin Christofferson, and we're back with a really interesting episode that I think is going to be very insightful to our listeners about some of the things that happen behind the scenes to make racing and wagering possible. And so that's a a note that I want to share right at the beginning that we are going to be talking pretty in-depth about wagering in this episode, and it's going to have some pretty technical language, but I think that it's going to be very insightful. So before we get to all of that, Caitlin, how's it going? Breeders' Cup is coming up, so I'm sure you're busy. Oh my goodness, I know. Leaving like yeah so soon just got back from the east coast yesterday and heading to readers cup in about 10 days and uh yeah it's that time of year but i'm so excited that we got to do this podcast and that you i think you suggested uh this anise and um caitlin and laurel wow i mean we were kind of talking about this at the end of the podcast but one of the things that always Whenever we come away from a recording and I'm like, I'm so excited to share this with the world is when we've learned something from the recording of the podcast and from talking with our um, our guests. And I truly did this time, like you mentioned, the recording or the wagering and the racing um, and the recording of all the funds, like coming in and coming out, how all of the settlements happen. It's, it's fascinating and it's a side of the industry that I don't think a lot about. Um, but it's it's a huge part, right? If we weren't able to safely and securely move all this money around, the industry would very quickly cease to exist. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for people to listen to this. And I think we do a really good job of explaining some of the more technical terms. So I think anybody can follow along and learn a lot. Yeah. It was definitely, um, this This was an intimidating episode to dive into because it's using language that we might have heard of, but it, it can be a challenge to actually describe it in terms that, you know, are, are really easy to understand, but also because it's describing concepts that I don't fully understand. So to get into the guests that Caitlin mentioned, Today, we're joined by Laurel Humbert-Stock, who's the Racing and Wagering Finance Manager at Keeneland. So she oversees a lot of Keeneland's accounting functions for their racing and simulcasting departments, um, the Horseman's Bookkeeper Office, and the Money Room, which we will talk about. And Laurel had earned a dual BSBA in finance and an equine administration from the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program. And then she went and got her master's in accounting uh, and finance from the London School of Economics, which she talks a bit about, or we'll, we'll talk about the uh, you know, advantages of traveling abroad to further explore your career. And Caitlin Fox is somebody who I met by chance several years ago when Amplify was just getting started. And she is the Chief Operating Officer at CRIMS PGSI, which will explain all that CRIMS does because it is highly technical. And, you know, we, we were able to finally meet for the very first time at the Horse Racing Women's Summit. But when Caitlin and I first connected, she had offered for CRIMS to build Amplify a website, which is, you know, an immensely important, important thing to a fledgling 
nonprofit to be able to have that digital presence. So Caitlin is somebody who's really supportive to other women in the industry. And, um, you know, within CRIMS, her primary responsibilities involve devising and implementing streamlined processes to enhance internal efficiency and controls within the organization. Um, she's a certified anti-money laundering specialist, so she will get into talking a little bit about that and uh, explaining the technicalities of what settlements are and how that relates to wagering in the industry and the, the distribution of funds when people do actually wager on racing because it, it's an important part in the bigger picture of funding the uh, thoroughbred industry and the, you know, from horse racing. So there you have it. Uh, a couple little notes that I wanted to share in the world of Amplify before we bring in Laurel and Caitlin are that we just launched a brand new uh, website, which I'm really excited about. And again, it kind of is this full circle moment to having Caitlin Yay, finally <laughs> check out AmplifyHorseRacing.org. We have a blog, we have a job board, uh, we have an amazing. Uh, what's going to become a program, an educational programs directory where you can actually submit your program to our website and a lot of really cool curriculum materials and this podcast, which is awesome to be able to share this in that kind of setting. So go check out our website. And with that, I think we can dive on into the episode. Yes. And congratulations. I know the website was truly a huge labor of love as Amplify has you know, been uh, so, so excited for, for Amplify to have that now. Thank you so much. All right. This is going to be awesome. Let's go. For today's episode, I'm really excited to welcome someone who is, uh, well, two people, I should say, who are very near and dear to Amplify in very different ways. Laurel Humbert-Stock, uh, who is the Racing and Wagering Finance Manager at Keeneland, and Caitlin Fox, who serves as the Chief Operating Officer at CRIMS PGSI, which we're going to learn what all of that is and means. And I have to say, before we really dive into the episode, Laurel is one of Amplify's board members, and uh, very we're very grateful for her serving as our treasurer. And Caitlin actually had reached out way back in 20. 19, 2020-ish, and ended up building our first website for Amplify. So very grateful for both of your support. And today we're going to be talking about something that is a little out of my wheelhouse for in terms of subject matter. And so it's something that I'm really looking forward to learning more about. And I think it's important for the general racing fan or a young person who wants to get involved in racing to learn as well. And that is the flow of money within the industry when it comes to the wagering dollar. When somebody bets on the sport, where does that money actually go? So that ties into what Caitlin and Laurel do, which is working with settlements. Uh, and so I'm really curious to learn your guys's definition of that word and all the different intricacies that go into that. But before we dive into the technicalities of both of your jobs, we want to hear how both of you got into the thoroughbred industry and into these really unique and fascinating careers. So 
Laurel, our Kentuckian, I'm going to hand it over to you to talk about getting into racing at good old Ellis Park and how that led to where you are now. So, yeah, I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky, which is where Ellis Park is. Um, you know, Ellis kind of grown in stature in the last few years. But, you know, when I was growing up, it was a teeny tiny track. And that was really a great opportunity for me to kind of run wild and learn a lot of things there. So I started out, you know, just kind of as an intern, kicking around, doing some marketing and ticketing related things. Ended up working in the racing office and learned a ton there under the racing secretary, Dan Bork, um, and kind of moved my way up in the racing office, doing stakes, doing claims, doing all the different things, kind of on the regulation side of the sport. While I was doing that, I was attending the University of Louisville's equine industry program, and I was double majoring in the equine industry program and then also a finance major. So I got my degree in that and then pursued a master's in accounting and finance at the London School of Economics. So I've kind of always had a, a knack for numbers, and that's kind of where I've taken my path. From there, um, I worked for the Blood Horse and the Jockey Club and then moved over to Keeneland, where I've been for six and a half years now. <laughs> Wait, so taking a step back, where where did your num interest in numbers come from? Like where how did that end up colliding with your interest in horse racing? See, my grandfather was a math teacher. <laughs> so I'm sure that's where I actually got it. But um, you know, while I was at the U of L Equine Industry Program, you know, the executive director at the time was Tim Caps. And I remember spending tons of hours in his office just going like, I don't know what to do, you know. I know I want to work in the horse industry and it was a lot of just talking through it, figuring out what I was good at and kind of just what I wanted to pursue. And then just trying things out, seeing where it took me, honestly, I, this wasn't the necessarily de the destination I had in mind when I started my journey. You just kind of have to go with the flow. <laughs> How did you decide to go abroad to the London school of economics? So while at U of L, um, I did a, a course with about 14 other students where we actually went to England for about two weeks studying different facets of the thoroughbred industry over, you know, overseas. And that kind of got my interest up about, you know, moving abroad, expanding my horizons, you know, just learning more about the sport and, you know, growing personally as well. Wow. I think just a, a little quick side note. Um, I think a lot of young people see the Godolphin Flying Start program and think that that is their one way to be able to travel abroad in the industry. And so that's something that I think is so cool that you were, there are a lot of ways to be able to travel abroad in the thoroughbred industry, regardless of what your interest is or what facet of the industry you want to be involved in. And so I'm really impressed that you I mean, for one, you were part of a really cool program through the University of Louisville, but then you were able to, you know, go and, and seek out other ways to, to be involved, inspired by your love of the industry and travel as well while you were getting your degree. So that's awesome, Laurel. I'm, I never, I'm always impressed by you. I should say I never mm -hmm. failed to be impressed by uh, the never ending knowledge um, and also humble nature of Laurel Humbert stock. Let's say I'm just doing my best here. <laughs> and Caitlin, I guess when you had originally reached out to me about you know helping Amplify when we were just this little fledgling organization, I had actually never heard of Prim's PGSI before. I had never heard of settlements. 
it's still something that I'm learning and, and working to understand. But what led you to that very unique field? Had you ever, were, did you follow racing before you got into this industry? I was going to say, I could not have a more opposite story than Laurel. <laughs> I, I had heard of the Kentucky Derby. I think that's probably as far as my knowledge had gone in horse racing. Um, but I was working with a consulting firm for operations and administration things. And they had told me they had this really interesting client that was kind of a, a an interesting industry with a really interesting business model. And so they were like, do you want to jump in and see what you can do? And so I started working with um, Mark Thurman, the former CEO and president of CRIMS. Him and his wife, Bernie, created CRIMS. And I think California is forever in debt to those two for what they um, brought to the California racing industry. So I worked with him for several years um, and just tried to get as much information as I could in my brain. I remember I used to have note cards on my nightstand of all the different terminology in horse racing from stuff with actual wagers to the different terms for horses. And I mean, I would read those every single night because the depth of information that I needed to have was so big and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to consume all of it in enough time. So um, that was, this whole industry was very new to me and I've grown to love it and I've gotten all my friends to love it. So that's helped out. Um, and it's just kind of become a part of our life now, but it was brand new and kind of intimidating. What do you think was the most intimidating factor to learning the industry? I think the hardest part, especially when it comes to the data and the settlements and the money side of it, is that people use different terms to mean the same thing. So mm. if you're talking with someone in Kentucky, they could use a totally different word, but they're talking about the same thing that we might say in California is different. So that was a little bit of like mental Olympics to try to figure out what everyone was actually talking about. And I remember one time I was complaining to Mark Thurman, I was like, why can't we all just use the same words? And he said that would just be way too simple for horse racing. So that is that was probably the most intimidating part was trying to figure out what words everyone was trying to use to mean the same thing. So I've actually our staff internally has created an awesome document that kind of shows newcomers what those words, what other areas might use to mean the exact same thing. That's awesome. It it reminds me of learning Spanish and like how different countries mm -hmm. use different words for the same thing. Yes. So it, it, it spans many different sectors of the industry. It definitely does. Oh, gosh. So what is CRIMS PGSI? So CRIMS PGSI, it used to be called the California Horse Racing Information Management System, which is where CRIMS comes from. So I feel like once you know that that was the original meaning of the word, it makes it a lot easier to understand. We essentially were chartered by the state of California to provide an information management system to California racetrack specifically at the time um, that would take the tote data, which comes through in some complicated files, and make it easy to digest for racetrack accounting offices. So they could log in and see the data of what the handle was, what was each pool's handle, all the different kind of stuff. They can log in and see it really easily. And because we have that data, we've been able to turn it into another system that we have called our net settlement system. And that's what we use to provide the settlement service um, for our customers. So it's essentially was created to just keep all the data in one place in a way that you can see it easily and understand it better. Um, and it's been around since the late eighties in California. And so we expanded, um, out of state probably a decade or a decade and a half ago, um, and have been bringing on racetracks out of state ever since. I feel like that's something that people might forget is such a huge, like massive part of our industry is information and data. 
in not only obviously in sports now a lot of people are very interested in like the statistical mm-hmm. side element of the sport but as well in our sport because you can legally gamble on it in most places it's you know what happens to that dollar like every single dollar that is going through the window or um being bet you know at an ADW and what happens on the back end of it and that in itself is fascinating it's a whole other part of the sport that i'm not familiar with so it's incredible i think to bring to light like what it is the the jobs and the opportunities in this side of the industry can I have Laurel and, and Caitlin, can you guys define three words that Caitlin just used for any newbies that are out there listening? Tote, pool, and handle. <laughs> I'll take handle. Laurel, I'll take handle. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> handle is just what is wagered, the, the dollars that are wagered on the race. So handle for the whole day at a racetrack could be five million. It could be a million. It could be it's what's wagered that day at the racetrack. And to, you know, bounce off of that, the pool is the individual wager. So the win pool, the place pool, the show pool, each of those are individual pools, but the sum total is the handle. And then TOTE is pretty easy. Stands for Totalizer System. There's three main companies that operate um, in horse racing in the United States. You have Global TOTE, AmTOTE, and United TOTE. Um, And they basically are the system that we use to calculate bets behind the scenes and horse racing. Laurel, would you like to expand on that? I'm trying to think of the simplest way to That's describe That's basically the system that all of the wagering dollars are flowing through. Yeah. So the tote system is communicating behind the scenes for each and every wagering dollar in real time. Uh, I know everyone's kind of aware of like the odds changes and such. That is the tote system working in the background and you know creating all those odds and balancing things out. Yeah, so for any... Anybody listening who is new, who maybe has never been to the races before, or maybe you're going to go for the first time, when you walk out onto the apron of the tracks, the area of the racetrack that's right in front of the track itself, and you look out into the field, uh, the infield, you will generally see what we call the tote board. So that is a board at the track that shows you all of the odds for each course. And so that is basically all of the wagers that have been placed on each of those individual horses are factored in to determine a the odds or uh, the probability of that horse betting or winning, excuse me, based on what the betting public thinks. Am I correct in that explanation, guys? Spot on. Okay. I have to say that's like one of the most fascinating parts of like going to the track. To me, it feels a little bit like going back in time because it's, I mean, they, they used to physically update those numbers, right? With like chalk by hand. Um, and it's so different from what you would see at any other sporting event. I would say like, you know, baseball is maybe the closest, like how they track every single inning. Um, but what other sport can you think of that has like a, a live wagering board? <laughs> Yeah, and it's something that that is important for somebody to know when they go to the track for the first time because it's something that people will reference. You know, look out at the tote board or check, check the tote board, and what are the current odds? 
Yeah. And it's an obscure word that you wouldn't have heard. You know, you've probably heard of odds before, but you haven't heard of a tote board or, or the tote or the pools and some of that lingo that is pretty basic to horse racing aficionados. And when you think about all that data that we've talked about, so at the end of the day, those three tote companies basically compile all that data that you've seen throughout the day on the boards and things like that. And they send it to us in these massive files. And that's what we use to populate our system for our customers to look at. Wow. So you guys work with all of the tote companies that you mentioned. We do. Mm-hmm. And so, so it started in California, but it's now nationwide. Correct. Okay. Yep. Caitlin mentioned the word ADW, which stands for Advanced Deposit Wagering. How how does it all coincide when you have money that's wagered on track versus through an ADW or electronically? At the end of the day, all of this is flowing through the tote systems. So the tote systems will intertwine and compile all that data in the background. So it's kind of seamless, the, the wagering dollars that are placed in an ADW versus on track or at, you know, an off track betting facility. It's all flowing through tote. I actually had, I had a group of students on a tour this last weekend and I have heard before that it's better for the racetrack to bet on track rather than through a betting app because the track gets more money and so it benefits the industry more. And I didn't really know how to how to um, answer his question because he asked me, you know, why is that? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, why is that? Is that true? So that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, where the wager is originating from affects basically how it is handled. And everything I'm going to talk about is based on Kentucky. Every state is going to have different rules and different, mm-hmm. you know, ways that the money is divided at the end of the day. But for Kentucky, and really for any on-track wager, there is no other middleman. Mm-hmm. So any wagering dollar that is placed on track, the track is going to retain all of the takeout versus, you know, if it's placed through an ADW or through another facility, that facility needs to get paid also. So that, you know, re- revenue would have to be split between the two entities, mm-hmm. the track who is running the live race and the facility that is taking the wager. Mm-hmm. So if there's no middleman, it's just on track, the track gets to retain all of that revenue. And then that money goes back to purses. It's a little bit like paying with cash or check versus a credit card. Mm-hmm. Wow, good analogy. Perfect. Well, analogy. I, I know that from when I go to horse shows, I always carry a checkbook because there is always, uh, you know, like a three to five percent fee added to any credit card wagering because, of course, the credit card companies have to get paid. Or sorry, wagering, not wagering at the horse shows. But. <laughs> I don't know. My fiance might be. It might make it for him. <laughs> Making a couple bets on the side on who's going to win this hunter jumper class. Oh gosh! So, getting into the settlements aspect, what are settlements, and how does that factor into all of this? So, all these wagering dollars that are flowing through. The easiest way to think about it is maybe like a giant pick six pool. So that's a pool that, you know, there's very few winners. Some days there might only be one winner. If it's like a jackpot bet or if it's a really hard sequence, there's only one winner. If that winner for that pick six pool is located, you know, in California, those wagering dollars need to be collected 
from the rest of the country, from the rest of the world, anywhere that wagered in that pool. And those funds need to move to the entity that paid out the better in California. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And yeah. we do this on a monthly basis. At least that's the general consensus in the industry is that we do this on a monthly basis instead of every day. Because you can imagine the workload that would be if we were trying to settle every single day once races were over. So we do it on a monthly basis. Um, and so we're kind of aggregating all the data from the month, figuring out what is due to or due from at the very end of the month. And then we, our, my staff who does the settlements will send payments accordingly or receive payment accordingly. Wow. You mentioned something in there, Laurel, that I want to talk about, which is uh, the international aspect. Um, so, you know, we've talked about how there are opportunities for students um, and for up and comers in the industry, like all over the world, to get involved and to learn more about horse racing because it is a truly global sport. But what is the layer of or layers of complexity that working in an international sport that moves so much money around. Um, and, you know, this just comes from like a little bit, my background knowledge of like finance and securities. I mean, there's must be so much that has to happen in order to make all of this work legally and safely. Right. A lot of those international outlets are using like a settlement, you know, a settle agent to handle things for them. So they've pretty much got it, you know, fine tuned where they've handled all the legal requirements, you know, the financial requirements of, you know, wiring money internationally. They've handled a lot of those things and ironed out the whole process. So it's really not too complicated usually for us, you know. Sometimes there's language barriers if you know they're speaking Spanish or a different language, French, something like that. Um, but overall, it's usually a pretty smooth process, even for our international clients. Mm-hmm. And I would piggyback on that to say, too, we have really great banking partners that we work with at CRIMS to facilitate those um, international transactions, things like that. Um, we have some international clients. And so getting them set up has not been as difficult as I would have thought. But because we have such great banking partners, they're very clear about what they need to have. And um, the international partners are also prepared with what is important and necessary. So it makes it go smoother than you would think. And touch on while we were talking about that, because I find it so fascinating in Caitlin's background that um, she's a certified anti-money laundering specialist. This is what I was just going to ask about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So that really came about because in the state of California, Crims, we provide a lot of different services to the state of California, to racing in California. Um, one of the things that we help do is we maintain a database of Um, AML training for the clerks that work at the racetrack. So um, if you're going up to a window to place a bet, that clerk has to be trained um, in a specific anti-money laundering training to know what to look for, um, because there are definitely opportunities in racing for someone to come in and do some not so great things with money. Um, But we have put in a lot of really great um, safety protocols, um, worked a lot with Audrey Kaufman, who works for um, the Stronach Group. She is phenomenal at AML, and she's been um, very, very helpful in learning and understanding how we can make our programs as safe as possible. Um, And then we just make sure that they're doing the training and that they actually understand the training as well, because I think that's really important. Um, When I first started learning about it, sure, I could answer the questions correctly, but I think practical examples of understanding when someone is coming to the window with a large stack of cash and what they might be doing, or 
you know, cashing out just a couple dollars below the thresholds over and over. Those are things that we look for um, and that we train our clerks to look for to make sure nothing nefarious is happening at the racetracks. Do either of you guys have any fascinating or crazy stories about scenarios that you've had to deal with? There's always a few counterfeit bills that come through the window. Um, you know, the clerks do their best to try to stop them. It really doesn't happen that often, but there are counterfeit bills that will end up in our money room now and then. Um, and then there's a particular case that I had to deal with on the horseman's bookkeeper side. And I know it's happened at several racetracks where essentially, you know, some nefarious individuals are trying to impersonate horsemen, deposit fake cashier's checks and, try to scam a whole lot of people out of a lot of money and claim horses and whatnot. So there, there's some interesting things that can happen in horse racing. It's for a sure. little bit like identity theft within the horse industry. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I can't imagine it's super easy for you guys to find talent to work with, like em- employee-wise. You know, how? what are the qualifications that you guys need in somebody when you're hiring? I know that depends on the position, but in general, if a young person, you know, had an affinity for this kind of field, what kind of skills would they have to bring to the table? And then what would you guys generally have to teach them? So I think what we look for most at Crims, because usually it's not very easy to find a lot of people with um, a horse racing background. So what we really ask for from new hires or from people that we're interviewing is for them to have a um, adventurous attitude as far as problem solving and willing to dive in and just try to figure out pieces of the puzzle. Because when you get down to the bare bones of it, it's great to have a financial background. It's great to have a data background, but really we need people who aren't afraid to dive in and to dig in and to find discrepancies in the data or find discrepancies between invoices and settlements and figure out the puzzle pieces of it all because it's just one giant puzzle. Um, And we're really looking for people with that kind of attitude to just dive right in and to, it might take you a little while of digging through different numbers and finding it, but really it's just that perseverance to keep digging is what we are looking for. I think our biggest struggle too is that we operate 365 dates of the year except for Christmas, so 364, um, because racing is always going on somewhere for one of our customers, and our data processing team does have to cover weekends and things like that. So we try to provide a really great work-life balance, but some of our employees do have a weekend schedule, and so that can make it a little difficult as well. I like that. Adventurous attitude. I'm going to start using that for our yes. and stuff. New requirement. Must have an adventurous attitude. We really, really, we really need that at Crims. And so what most of the people that you hire, what are their degrees in? Wait. We really take a plethora of backgrounds and degrees. I think most often we see some sort of business or data or analytics for our, our data department side. For settlements, we do see a lot of um, accounting degrees, bookkeeping experience, things like that. Um, we have really had really great success with um, Google certificates lately, too, with um, people taking courses in data before they come to us. And they seem to have a really good baseline knowledge of how to handle databases, large databases full of numbers. So those have been the most helpful that we've seen so far. So for anybody out there who's currently studying. Go what do Google certificate. Yeah. That's so cool. I've never, I've seen... For some reason, my phone algorithm has really been encouraging me to get a Google certificate lately. I haven't checked into it, so I don't know what all you can get a certificate for, but you're the first employer that I've talked to that's actually 
looked for something like that. And it seems like something that's so accessible. Like it's it an easy way to gain knowledge on a really technical subject. So that's so interesting. Totally agree. Something that came up at Women's Summit, which Caitlin Fox, you were there, correct? Mm -hmm. One of the things that came up at Women's Summit was recruiting from outside of the industry. So I feel like we kind of always go to the same pools of talent, you know, which there are these wonderful equine programs at various schools around the country that specifically equip people to work in the equine and the horse racing industry. But I want to touch like a little bit on your background because you went to the University of North Georgia Mm -hmm. and you still live in Georgia. And I mean, I think bringing this like going to a different kind of pool of uh, people to like work and contribute to our industry because it's very clear, like you've made a lot of positive contributions to the industry is so important for us to do. So like, how did you go from, you know, University of North Georgia to working in horse racing? So I started off working in um, education, finance, a couple different industries, mostly just focusing on operations though. And so when the opportunity came at CRIMS, I think that's a, a way that I could be really beneficial to CRIMS is having that outside perspective on how to create processes and put programs in place that would help our efficiency as a company. Um, And I took a lot of that experience I had from finance and from education, things that had worked or I'd seen work or didn't work um, and brought that to CRIMS. And I think that's something that we definitely should remain open to is bringing in people from other walks of life and other areas, because there is a large learning curve for the paramutual terminology and things like that. But sometimes the things that they've experienced outside of horse racing and outside of our little bubble can be so impactful in creating a better path forward. And I'm not necessarily saying I did that, but I've seen a lot of our staff do that too, that we've brought in from other other walks of life. And they'll say, hey, at my last job, we did this and it worked really great. And it helps us create a, a better act, action or policy or whatever we might do um, based off of their experience. So it's been really beneficial for us. We do love going to the symposium and meeting those students there and um, finding ways that we can we can bring them into the fold, but it's been really beneficial to have some outside influence. That's so true. And how do you, how do you did you even find the opportunity? Because I've never, with all my jobs in the industry, I've never found it on Indeed. <laughs> no, this one was not on Indeed either. I found this through a consulting firm that I was working with, so it was a placement that I had through them. Um, they placed me with Crims, and that's how it all started. But we've noticed too that we have a lot better luck recruiting through firms and through recruitment firms, um, just because I think when you see a, a job posting that says Crims PGSI, you have no idea what that means, or it's really hard to convey in that one little paragraph what we're looking for and what we do. Um, so working with recruitment firms has been um, easier for us, unless we're going specifically through something within the industry where people understand those terms or might have a way to to understand them. So you you probably won't see our job postings on Indeed either. <laughs> but you will on the Amplify website. I was just going to say, but you can find them at AmplifyHorseRacing.org on our brand yeah. new job board. Absolutely. Or we can refer people to watch or listen to this episode of the Amplify Horse Racing podcast. Then they'll understand all that goes into settlements and pools and wagering yeah. and the tote. And then they can apply. Yep, we would love that. We, I will say I've had more young people reach out to me within the last year asking about jobs in data analytics in the industry. 
or working in accounting type roles or more number driven positions than I've ever had before. And I don't know if it's just, I've become more cognizant of it because, you know, Laurel, I work so closely with you and, you know, having, having learned about Prims over the years and, you know, I worked with, you know, the New York industry and, um, have gained a bit of insight in what they're doing with data and technology, um, kind of focused on equine safety and um, their the New York Racing Association and New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, and there might have been another group involved, had something called the Big Data Derby. I believe that was last year to encourage people to submit data um like data analysis driven projects towards racing. So I think these words are circulating a lot. So I'm probably more conscious of it, but I've had a lot of young people reach out with a a strong interest in that area. And I think I'm finally seeing the avenues to be able to direct them towards. And so I guess I'd love for both of you to summarize, like, why is this area of the industry important for people to be aware of um, when it comes to settlements and working with racetrack data? Laurel, I'll have you do that first. <laughs> sure thing. So I would say data analytics are on the rise, you know, not just in horse racing, but, you know, in the world in general, in many industries, um, people are seeing that data analytics can help businesses drive business decisions, you know, and make informed choices to increase revenue and all of those different things. So settlements at the end of the day is the transferring of revenue and of the wagering dollar between all these entities. So if you can look at a particular pool or look at a particular, you know, sequence, you know, that day's races, that race card, see what works, see what didn't work and make business decisions to, you know, card your races or put them in a particular order in a more efficient way and, you know, drive more handle, which drives more revenue, that can be an impactful decision. So that's why more and more entities are using data analytics to, you know, make, make decisions. Mm-hmm. That's a really good answer to that. Yes. <laughs> um, and you guys are both moms now. And um, I, I think that's, like work-life balance is a hot topic in the thoroughbred industry specifically because there is a very large demographic of young women who are starting to get involved in the equine industry. Um, You know, we've seen it in a lot of university level equine programs. They're predominantly female. I just had a tour of students from Lake Erie college out at Keeneland this past weekend and they're, main professor said that they only have one man in their program, one you know young man. And so I think it can be really intimidating, whether it's, you know, the long hours and different components of the industry, or, you know, just the fact that it's still this very passion driven industry where people are sometimes willing to compromise time off um, because they feel this obligation towards their passion to do more. So how has how have you guys found work life balance and being a mom and working in this very highly skilled technical component of the industry? For me personally, I think it has to do with the team that I have around me. So I have an incredible executive team, um, Gunnar LaCour and Samantha Brown, who were incredibly encouraging and accommodating when I was um, recently out on maternity leave. So 
they really went above and beyond to make sure that I could step away for that time. Um, I like to describe myself as like a dropout stay-at-home mom. I did it before with my two older kids. I tried so hard. It just wasn't for me. So for me, there is a little bit of that passion towards working and it just kind of keeps me going. And it's, I just love to work. I love to have, I like to accomplish things, I like to finish things, I like to figure things out. So that does drive me. And I genuinely think I'm a better mom when I'm excited and passionate about my work. Um, and I, I feel like I can, you know, be successful in my job. I think I'm a better mom. Um, but really, I have just an incredible team that has allowed me to do that, that has allowed me to have um, a work-life balance and be transparent and say, hey, today I have to do this for my kids. Can, can we cover for each other? They're both parents as well. So it really works out well that we have that team around us and we can be flexible and we can help each other out. So that's how I keep the work-life balance at Crims. Um, I wouldn't say I'm great at it though, because I still um, like to be available at all times. So that's my own, that's my own problem. No one's expecting I love that. I can vouch for that. You are always available. <laughs> <laughs> But that's amazing. I've never heard somebody make this statement or, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people, actually, I know a lot of amazing women who are moms now, um, not when I met them, but who are now who might say the same thing, but it makes me a better mom to have a productive job with, you know, clear cut accomplishables and things like that. That's, that's incredible. And Laurel to, um, for you. So I believe this was, you just had your first, right? Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and I feel, uh, so you work for Keeneland. I feel like Keeneland is kind of also speaking to the team aspect because Kayla, I totally get it. You know, Anise, it is really a 365, like seven, 24, seven, uh, mm -hmm. industry. And there are definitely pitfalls to that. And it is very like passion driven still, but you know, my team has, is like what has allowed me to stay in it. I don't know that I could go to a corporate role. Maybe the hours are simpler, um, but it's, you know, the team is different. That would be difficult, but Laurel at Keeneland, I feel like Keeneland is one of the leaders in our industry for setting that work-life balance and for pushing for like the best benefits possible um, for their staff. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, Keeneland is fantastic as far as, you know, encouraging work-life balance and, you know, providing benefits for employees and making it, you know, a truly, you know, family-style environment, um, you know. During live race meets, we work long hours. We work, you know, six, seven days a week for that time period. Same for the sales side of things. We have extremely busy time periods and our executive leadership is really cognizant of that fact. So whenever there are slower times or, you know, you do need to take a break or take care of, you know, childcare or different things, they're very accommodating for that and will work with you, you know, whatever needs to be done. They really encourage you to take care of you, take care of your family and make sure everything's, you know, set. You can't be a good employee if, you know, your mind's in a million places, you're running around, you know, worried about your children or worried about something in your personal life, your health. So Keeneland is very accommodating and making sure you're being taken care of. You know, if you're taken care of, you'll be able to perform your job. Yeah. That's what I believe. And that's what I tried to um you know, I hope my employees feel that way because it is definitely, you have to have the support from all around. And, and I think that it just makes the industry better. Like if we want top talent, which I believe we need, and I believe it was Joy Garner who mentioned at Women's Summit, um, 
she's amazing legal counsel for Naira. You know, she was like, I don't care what industry you're from or what your background is, but if you've got amazing, fresh ideas and a drive to work and make this industry better, then, you know, I want you. I want you in this industry. And I mean, that's truly where it's such a, I feel like we say this often, but I mean, really in the past five to 10 years, we are like in moving forward, we are at a critical point in our sport. Um, what is the future, you know, the next hundred years going to look like? Um, is there going to be something for our children to, to, you know, if they want to continue in the family tradition that, you know, we're now creating uh, for in, within our families, because we're all from relatively non horse racing backgrounds, are they going to, is there going to be an industry for them? So I think it's like, we have to make sure that as an industry, we are prioritizing these things for everybody who might be interested in coming in, um, whether they get in because of passion or, you know, they just happen to find their way in, but we've got to take care of them. Right. That's it. Exactly. You have to provide an environment that allows for a positive work-life balance in order to retain talent or else you're just going to burn people out. Mm-hmm. So as an industry, I think we kind of need to do a better job of providing that balance for people, providing that flexibility and, you know, retaining the top talent that we need to keep moving forward. I think it's definitely been a journey for us at CRIMS, especially as we navigated through COVID um, and going to work from home, you know, originally, and we still do, we have an office in Pleasanton, California in the Bay area. And so I think we've seen a lot less burnout since our staff has been able to work from home. That's been a really encouraging thing. While there have been hiccups as far as communicating as a team and figuring those things out, those kind of hurdles, but the the work-life balance that our staff has been able to have has far outweighed any of the the small minor issues we might have had with communication at first, the growing pains of working remotely. So now our staff is pretty much fully remote except for a couple of folks. And it's really been a game changer for work-life balance for us. Caitlin, you actually introduced me to Zoom for the very first time. I remember having to download it. I was in Dubai and you suggested we have a Zoom call. And I was like, what is Zoom? This <laughs> Little did you know it would take over the world just a couple months later. <laughs> yeah, I actually worked remote for Crims prior to COVID. So we had remote staff. We had staff in Kentucky, in Lexington, right near Keeneland. Keeneland, if you haven't guessed, is one of our... Um, most prominent customers that we absolutely adore. So we had staff in Kentucky, we had staff in New York, we had myself in, I was in Southern California at the time, but now in Georgia, and now we have staff in Chicago, Texas, really all over. So it is a um, nationwide operation as far as um, how we how we operate, but it, it works well for us and we enjoy it. And I think our staff enjoys the flexibility of it for sure. Before we wind down the episode, Caitlin, Fox, I can't let you leave without uh, telling us about the photo that you sent with the stacks and stacks of $100 bills. <laughs> that is one of my favorite photos. So I was at Santa Anita for a race. This was right after they opened after COVID. So this was Easter of 21 um, with my family. And I just went up to um, the office upstairs to say hi to Randy Hartzell at the time um, and Donnie Sanborn up there. And um, Randy is great. He's retired now, but he was such a fun um, figure to work with. And my daughter was with me. She was probably five at the time. And so he said, do you want to do something really cool? We're like, yeah, sure. So he took us in there and he let her hold a million dollars and myself hold a million dollars from the money room. So that was really fun. And uh, afterwards, he immediately made us wash our hands like three times, which it was 
good to do because it's the dirtiest thing in the world, but it was just really funny. And so my daughter loves to take that picture to school for show and tell and say that she got sold a million dollars at a racetrack. It's one of her favorites. Um, but yes, that was money from the money room at Santa Fe. Five years old. I'm like, would that weigh more than her? Yeah, I think ended up, she ended up sitting on the table and like putting her hands on the money. Um, and she like held, she held as much as she could, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. Wow. That's perfect because the money room basically ties back into track settlement. Right. You know, that's part of what I supervise at Keeneland is the money room. That's where all of the cash from the day goes at the end of the day to get balanced. You know, it it balances back to the reports from Crims and the reports from Tote. And, you know, that's how the settlements flow at the end of the day. Which we're in the midst of Keeneland. So cheers to you, Laurel, for even being able to join us because I feel like during the Keeneland meets, you know, it's everybody, it's all hands on deck. <laughs> well, I'm still on maternity leave. <laughs> so double well, even though you're on maternity leave and you said yes to doing a podcast, I feel like I would just walk myself down from the rest. <laughs> of the and, and I'm sure they're missing you. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear no. that they're missing me a little bit, but I'm sure they're doing great. I'm sure things are going just fine. And coming back to work-life balance, you know, my husband's got the baby right now. You need that team both professionally and personally to kind of step up and help you out now and then. So, yeah. And I guess one last thing, Laurel, I'd love for you to touch on. You're also a breeder. Um, you and your husband have gotten into breeding a bit, uh, which is really cool. The fact that you're involved in multiple facets of the industry. Would you want to touch on that a little for us? Because you, you're obviously a racing fan. You've got a lot of halters and uh, saddle towels behind you. I have quite a bit. Um, my husband used to be an assistant trainer as well. So we've got all the horse racing things, you know, kind of in the background. Um, but going back to the breeding, you're probably giving me a little bit too much credit there. Um, we have some great partners um, at Airdrie Stud. Brett Jones is, you know, become a close personal friend at this point. Um, and he's kind of allowed me and my family to take part in this. We've got, you know, one mare. We raced her as well in the partnership and we've kind of kept her on. She had quite a bit of talent, probably didn't get to show at all. Um, so we're hoping she passes it on to her foals. She's had... She's had four foals now. Had to think about that too hard. Um, but she's had four foals now. We're doing really well as a partnership. And, you know, we've had some really nice babies. The last couple have looked really athletic. So, you know, fingers crossed for the future. It's It's been a lot of fun and definitely learned a lot about the industry on the breeding side through that experience. The only reason I know those words you use is because of those note cards I had on my nightstand. <laughs> but, <laughs> that is... The industry, one no part at a time. Yeah, I love that. Well, everybody's going to get to see some really cool photos of Caitlin and Laurel on our social media when this website goes live. So be sure to check those out. And uh, Laurel and Caitlin, thank you so much for joining uh, the other Caitlin and I today for this podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us on. Fantastic. I always say this, Anise. I always say that I'm so excited for this episode and I don't know I say it every single time but and I always truly mean it <laughs> well, I think it's even more exciting when you come away feeling like you've learned something new during the episode Absolutely. and I think it's it's very easy to get you know kind of stay in your little bubble within the industry and you know 
just kind of take things for granted or not always think about, you know, some ways to continue expanding your mind. And I think this is something that I've always just kind of thought, oh, somebody else is taking care of it, but I don't have to think too hard about it. But it's always great to understand a different aspect of the industry and, and how it affects the overall big picture and health of this, you know, world that we call horse racing. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Another awesome episode with Laurel and Caitlin. We had two Caitlins today, so navigating between that. And I hope that everybody found this insightful and learned something, especially if you are just getting started and a lot of these terms are new to you. You know, I think that this was a good introduction to settlements without getting too in-depth and in the weeds. Even uh, Caitlin and Laurel texted me right after the episode and said they felt like we barely scratched the surface. But I thought that this was a good intro episode. What about you, Caitlin? Absolutely. Fabulous intro episode. I, I think I mentioned to you as well when we were not recording, I feel like we could have easily done two hours and it would have been fascinating. Um, so hopefully we will be able to revisit the subject because once again, it's such an important part of our industry that whether you're in or considering being in the industry, I don't even know people think about it that often. You know, the data, the accounting, the finances, the uh, government regulations, the security side of things. I mean, it's vast um, that, you know, that area. And it's so important again. So even the anti-money laundering (laughs) and the, the potential to have, you know, corrupt people try to take advantage of that. And so the special training that's needed to make sure that those things don't happen and that it is a you know, an honest and fair playing field, whether you're wagering or you're in some other aspect of the sport or you need to get paid through the horseman's bookkeeper if you're a horseman. Yep, absolutely. So can't thank Caitlin and Laurel enough. And I also love that, you know, we were able to touch on the work-life balance, especially for women in the industry, obviously something that I spend a lot of time um, through my work with the Horse Racing Women's Summit working to better and always be progressing as an industry. So really love that we were able to talk about that as well with him. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for another great episode. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining. You can find this on your favorite podcast platform or you can find the video on youtube amplifyhorseracing.org of course we're on social media be sure to follow us personally and at amplify horse racing social handles as well as gss the marketing agency and we will have information for you in the show notes if you ever have any questions about shows or ideas for guests, please email us at info at amplifyhorseracing.org. And we can't wait to talk to you next time.